Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello and welcome to Condensed Histories. I'm Jim Daduchu and this week what we do is we get a bit of pop culture and we reveal the history behind it. And I've done board games, I've done TV shows, I've done movies. But you know what I haven't done yet? I haven't done a bit of literal pop culture. So this time round we're going to be doing ABBA's hit song, Money, money, money. And I am not going to sing it because I am a terrible singer. Okay, so if you want to know how this three minute song can be turned into a 30 minute podcast, how you can sort of turn people who are known for their kind of velvet flares and sort of sing along anthems can possibly tell you anything about history. I encourage you to listen to the rest of this because I am going to take you on a journey. I'm going to take you to the prehistoric era to the modern age with money and ask a very important and tough to answer question. What is money. But on the way, we're going to go to the Middle East. We're going to go to China. We're going to go to the Crusades. And unfortunately, we are going to talk a little bit about the Nazi regime as well. So all of this is wrapped up in one piece of pop bubblegum song chart hitting success that is ABBA's Money, Money, Money. All right, let's get on with it, shall we? <laughs> what is money? Well, there are entire books written about that. But if you think about it, what money ultimately is, is a form of credit. It is an agreed value. So, for example, with a pound coin, a euro coin or a dollar bill, everybody knows the value of that. It's already agreed upon. But it took civilization a long time to get there. So, for example, what was generally considered in the prehistoric era? Now, the thing about prehistoric times is the clues in the name. It's before history. It's before people thought to write stuff down. So what we've got is basically anthropologists and archaeologists' best guess. And the fact is, to actually create a relatively complex monetary and currency-based structure, 
clearly subsistence individuals going out doing hunting, gathering, don't have time to create a bank, okay? So it's pretty safe to say that your average caveman, for want of a better phrase, did not have money. But of course, they did need to interact with other groups and tribes and with each other as well. They needed that form of what we would use today, credit. The theory is, and indeed you can see this in early civilizations around the world and civilizations that we've interacted with, even though we're now in the sort of industrial age, is the concept of barter and gift exchange. So what is barter? Barter is, if you like, stripping away that monetary facade and saying what you're ultimately getting. So barter is where I give you a thing, not money, I give you a thing, and you give me a thing in return, and we consider it of equal value. So we're both happy with the new thing we're walking away from this exchange. Now, what that might that have looked like in ancient times? Well, I might have been to a hunt, so I might have, let's say, a leg of venison, a chunk of reindeer, something like that. And so I go to the local flint napper, and they give me a handcrafted, let's say, flint dagger that would have taken them perhaps a week to make, but then again, it might have taken me a week to hunt, carry, and butcher this carcass. So if you like, same amount of effort's gone into this. The flint napper, no matter how beautiful and great his knives are, can't eat it. And I am going to find it very hard to do things like butchering and hunting without the proper tools. So both sides benefit from it. Both sides kind of agree that the same amount of energy and resources being put into it, he gets to eat, I get to continue to hunt. It works pretty well for both people. Now, interestingly, and I'm going to keep away from the brand, I know a very high-tech company that, at least in the 1990s, did quite a lot of barter, where basically the argument was, look, if we buy, I used to work in media sales, so where you sell advertising, okay, sort of like slots on TV or pages in magazines or you know, time on YouTube channels, that kind of stuff. And basically, the argument from the company was, look, if we give you a load of money for adverts, you'll get the money, but of course you're going to have to pay tax on that and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, you're still going to have to go out there and buy things. So here's an idea. Because we're a tech company, how about we give you tech that you need? Something like computers, for example, which everybody's going to need. And you give us advertising for the same agreed value. So in other words, if a, let's say, laptop costs a thousand pounds, we give you 10 of those laptops, so then you give us £10,000 worth of advertising. There's been no exchange of money, so nobody gets taxed out of the way. Now, obviously, we're already making a profit on the advertising. They're already making a profit on the laptop. It doesn't really cost £1,000, so it's actually quite efficient for both organisations. So that's an example how the modern-day bartering can happen. It's used a lot in negotiation. Everyone thinks negotiation's about dropping price, and some of it is, but actually it's also about what else can I get? Think about when you are buying a car, for example. It's not just about dropping the price, but like, will you give me a free, you know, service on this car or something like that? Because that's going to save me money down the road. Of course, it doesn't cost the garage anything to give you a free service. But if it gets the deal of the car, which has got built-in profit in it. So there we go. All of this is coming from Money, Money, Money by ABBA. So we start off with barter. And similar to what I've just said, there's the idea of gift exchange as well, where I might 
you know, me and my tribe, my family might be wandering into new people's territory and to stop potential conflict, I will give them some tribute or some gifts. And we've seen from really ancient, we're talking about tens of thousands of years ago, uh, things like necklaces of shells found nowhere near the seaside. So in other words, these shells have gone on a journey and they've been deliberately placed on a piece of rope or twine, which has uh, subsequently rotted away. But this is ornamentation. Does it help you survive an attack by a woolly mammoth? <laughs> or help you keep warm in the winter? No. But human beings have always wanted certain elements of status and things like that. We've always wanted things to look a little bit pretty. Look around you. Everything around you in the room or place that you are is not only functional. There are elements of decoration and design. Look at the clothes that you're wearing. You know, you, you've chosen to wear these certain clothes and there's certain colors and so on and so forth. All this dyeing process took energy, but you decided, I like those jeans, that shirt, whatever it may be. Gift exchange is another very early basic form of this. And then we get the start of towns and cities. And really the first place this was all starting to grow up, the first major urban environments were in ancient Mesopotamia, you know, round about 4000 BC, give or take. And it was about 3000 BC that we start getting from Mesopotamia, what we now would call, there's no way they would use these terms in back, back in the day, but asset-backed money. Huh? What's that mean? Well, that means that obviously if you've got lots of people living in a town, they're not all making food. So you've got around the city all the farmers, but the farmers want all the goods made by the craftsmen in the city. So what do you do? The farmers go in and as sort of tribute, as part of their taxation, if you like, they have to give in a certain amount of their grain. And they're basically given a token saying, you know, you have given us, let's say, obviously, again, they wouldn't be using these weights, but you know, you've given us 10 kilos of grain. Therefore, you have now a token for 10 kilos and you can now go and get the equivalent of 10 kilos of grain worth of stuff. Now, that might be cloth. It might be new shoes. It might be a shear or something like that, which you can get from the ironmonger. Well, actually, it, this was in the Bronze Age, so bronze monger. The idea is that because you've contributed, it's almost like, and you can see they're nearly there in terms of money. You know, there's this sort of agreement that you have this credit is almost the same thing as you walking around with like a $50 note in your pocket in the sense that everybody agrees that $50 can buy you a meal or something like that, you know, a jacket or what have you. It didn't take a big jump from that point to actual money. Now, the first form of proper, proper money was coins. Paper money comes much, much later. But now we get to the idea of people's work now being given specific monetary value rather than necessarily the barter or gift exchange. Now, to be clear, you know, people talk about I love one little fact 
that I picked up at university is your average English peasant in the Middle Ages, their entire annual salary would be about one pound, which is the same as it would cost a knight to have a really good sword. So that gives you an idea of how expensive it is to kit out a knight in armour and sword and horses and bridles and so on and so forth. However, the reality is medieval peasants anywhere in the world weren't given coinage. They were still basically doing that asset-backed money in the sense that they're putting in their crops and they're getting stuff in return. They're probably eating some of the crops as well. And so it would be very rare for a medieval peasant to actually have a pouch of coins. That just wasn't something they needed even in their life. It was almost a, a liability. This is a great point to actually throw in a little bit of stuff about ABBA and also the song Money, Money, Money. The first line of the song is, I work all night, I work all day to pay the bills I have to pay. And if you like, this is the problem, the downside of money. Because as soon as we've got a civilization and an economy going on, then people have to support that economy. Now, in the modern world, we've had arguments about people saying, I don't want my tax money to go to the army or, or something like that. And I want all my tax money to be spent on environmental issues. And that's fine. But there's been literal court cases in different countries basically stating you can't dictate where your tax money goes to, because that's simply too complicated for a government to, to work out. And also, everybody's going to say something like the NHS until people get very, very angry when the roads don't work anymore and there's no street lighting. So, uh, well, I didn't want my money to go to nuclear power. Well, what do you think is keeping the lights on? Okay. So it's one of these things where if you don't like the government, you vote out the government, but you can't tell the government basically how to spend the money because it's complicated enough running an economy. But that's the thing. We've used the term in the past, wage slave. We sometimes feel like we live to work rather than we work to live. This is a continual conundrum if you look into things like uh, LinkedIn, you know, some of the, the pressures that are on just generally you in the modern society. You get bills and there are some things you love spending money on. You know, think of the hobbies that you have. Think of your partner or eating out or whatever. There are some things I will happily spend, let's say, £50 on and I won't even bat an eye because I'm having fun. But then the phone bill arrives. Then the electricity bill arrives. Full disclosure, three days ago, I got the water bill. Water. I've got to have water. Water is one of these things you need to live. Uh, but I deeply resent paying something like 140 quid uh, for my water bill. Um, but I got nothing else to argue with there. So uh, yeah, th this is, if you like, the problem of money. It has made exchange much easier. You know, things like barter, I mentioned, you know, a leg of venison. Or of course, you know, in these early civilizations, it might be, I give you a sheep and you give me a copper kettle or something like that. And it does involve us not having to wander around with bags of sheep to do our trading and things like that. You know, for example, going to Sainsbury's would be a nightmare with all the cattle roaming around and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, okay, give me two cows for all that, uh, you know, washing up liquid you've got that they got there. You can see why we actually need money in a modern society to, in essence, carry around our wealth, which is a whole other concept which we're kind of going to go into. But first, as I said, I think we need to give some respect to ABBA. So if you have just a passing 
Understanding of the band ABBA, you'll know, I mean, this is not a huge blow-your-mind fact, the reason why they called ABBA, because that's the first letter of each one of the four band members. There's Agnetha, Bjorn, Benny, and Anna Fried. It's sort of ironic that the two girls both have A names and the two boys have B names. But anyway, so, so that's why they're called ABBA. Uh, they are Swedish. They were formed in 1972, and indeed, they went to the Europe Vision Song Contest the year before they had their huge year, and they sung exactly the same song, Waterloo, but sung it in Swedish, and nobody really liked it. But then they came back, sung it again in English, huge hit, star of a massive, massive career. The band actually broke up in 1983. And weirdly, they are remembered largely from their very sort of like early sort of 74, 75, 76, they're kind of... It's all their ridiculous glam rock, as I said, sort of like velvet silks, your huge garish colours, wild outfits. You know, it was the 70s, OK? And, you know, they are a glorious cascade of colour. But actually, if you look at sort of later songs like Knowing Me, Knowing You and other ones, Winner Takes It All, that kind of stuff, you'll see that they're wearing sort of jumpers and jeans and, and suddenly they, they don't look nearly as flashy as the, as they were, or as, as people necessarily remember them. They are a masterclass of pop. If you look at the orchestration, the different layers of mu musical instruments, you know, we are talking about like an orchestra level of musicality, if you like. Now, I am terrible to describe all this stuff because I can't carry a tune in a bucket. I like music. I am in no way musical. Whenever I've heard sort of musicians who know what they're talking about, they say, look, People think that ABBA's a sort of disposable pop. It's really good. And indeed, you know, why is it? You've got Mamma Mia sort of still out there and, and sort of two movies from, from the ABBA songs, both of which brought in hundreds of millions decades after the band themselves has sort of ceased to exist. Why is it? Because they're really good, really catchy tunes. See, that's, that's the thing. I don't care what the, the music sounds like, but does it make a, a fundamental connection? And if you like, the great thing about ABBA is they, they didn't really come with any politics. They were just there to have fun and be honest, which is why they've been quite as closely associated with the gay community. Like, let's be, let's be honest about who we are. You know, we're proud, quite literally, of, of who we are. And, and therefore ABBA's sort of like anthem uh, is almost anthemic for that particular community. But look, you know, you put on Dancing Queen, everybody goes, Way! and gets onto the dance floor and starts boogieing to it. It's, it's a perfect wedding song because, or, you know, floor filler, because everyone from grandma down to the little kids can all bop along to something like that, particularly aided with some alcohol, I've been told. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. 
And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. However, there is a dark side to, to all of this because, you know, if you do the maths, we're talking about a band of people in the 1970s, you know, so they were clearly born in the 1940s. And this is where I have to briefly mention Anna Frid, who is the brunette lady in ABBA. Uh, she is a member of the Lebensborn. What does that mean? Well, the Nazis had an absolutely horrific breeding program in World War II. This is where they got local women who were of acceptable Aryan origins, which Sweden naturally was, and they were basically forced to breed with German officers. And Annafried is actually a result of that. Now, there are still thousands of people, obviously now in their sort of 70s and 80s, who are the children of this, you know, horrific act. And I don't want to go in too much into it because she's perhaps one of the most famous examples of it. She is, of course, in no way a Nazi, and it's just another example of why you need to hate the Nazi regime. It is just pure evil. Pretty much every idea they, they had was just odious and immoral. That's absolutely terrible. And if you like, I can't think of a greater rebuttal to sort of the, the Lebensborn regime and the whole concept of Nazi ideology than ABBA, this sort of pro-gay, you know, fun-loving, frivolous. You, you just know the Nazis would have hated ABBA, and that is a sign of quality in my book, okay? So, as another band, Aerosmith, uh, said, don't get mad, get even. And, you know, the way ABBA's got even is is, you know, just by having fun and being joyous and inclusive to all. So that's a, a little bit about ABBA. There's even ABBA the movie. Almost every band in the sort of 70s, 80s and even 90s, you know, big bands tended to have some kind of movie around them. Most of them are absolutely appalling. I'm looking at you, Spice World, a Spice Girls movie. But the ABBA movie is actually really clever and fun. Basically, they know what you want. You're going there for the music. So why have them pretend to be in sort of other characters? You know, the Beatles obviously did it the best. You know, they've got Hard Day's Night. They've got Yellow Submarine. They've got Help. You know, there's you know, the Beatles had some very, very good movies. But there are lots of clangers. But what the ABBA basic story of ABBA the movie is, is there is this 
this reporter who is constantly trying to get an interview with ABBA. So you basically see him following ABBA around doing a tour, which is, of course, what they're naturally very, very good at. And then he just keeps failing. Excuse me, pal. Do you know what time ABBA are arriving? Nine o'clock, I think. Nine. Where are they coming through? I really don't know. I'm not going to give away the ending of, of this film. But, you know, do you know what? If you just want to put a smile on your face, if you're just feeling a bit down, I can't think of a, a, a better antidote to that than ABBA the movie. You're welcome. Much, much, much better than Mamma Mia, which I just... I. I went to see that in the cinema and I have not, full disclosure, I was so appalled by the first one that I haven't bothered with the second one. I, I apologies to the director of that film, but I'm sorry, you're not a very good director or you were having bad food poisoning while that was on because it is the most sloppily directed, commercially successful film I've ever seen. Michael Bay can direct. He may be odious in many other ways, but man, that first Mamma Mia movie, Looks like, I don't know, maybe the director was actually just three six-year-olds stacked underneath a trench coat pretending they knew how to make a film. It's awful. It's awful. Editing, sound quality, sound mixing. And I've got to be honest, it's not their fault that the there's already a story from the theatrical production. But even that lacks something as well. It's, yeah, bad. Anyway, let's move on, shall we? Let's go back to money. Because when we were last talking about money, I was talking about coins. We get the first ever actual minted coins from round about 600 BC, so about two and a half thousand years ago. So you can see actually quite late in the game. By then, ancient Babylon was long gone. You know, it shows you that you can get a civilization without specifically coinage or if you, if you like monetary tokens. Ancient Egyptians have been around for thousands of years too. Now, weirdly, the first coins come from a civilization you probably haven't even heard of, the Lydians. You know, the Lydians. Huh? Basically, imagine sort of ancient Greek, uh, Doric columns and, you know, cl classical statues and stuff like that. They were clearly influenced by the sort of the classical Mediterranean style. So if you were to find Lydian artifacts, you would easily confuse them with Roman or Greek or things like that. So that's basically the style of their civilization and culture. It's in modern day Turkey, but this is way before Turkey was Turkey. And the fact that we've got this civilization with coins and they're not exactly the big players of the Mediterranean, implies that there's probably some earlier coinage out there, but we haven't found it, so we've got to give it to the Lydians in the meantime, okay? And 600 BC. Now, to give you an idea, you have to fast forward about a thousand years before you get paper money. And where was paper invented? China. So where was paper money first found? In Tang Dynasty, China. There we go. So it's around about the 7th century AD. Okay, so we're now past the Roman era. So you can see that paper money was a very, very late to the game. And even then, it wasn't widely distributed in China. Now, there are absolutely earlier coins in China, but this is where it gets a little bit weird because... Why does it have to be coins? Why does it have to be paper? And China has actually come up with several other unique ideas. Perhaps the weirdest one of these, and when I first uncovered an image of this, it's like, okay, I know what that is. Uh, but then when I started reading about it's something else entirely, it's like, what? So there is something between 600 and 200 BC in China, roughly speaking, called knife money. Knife money, because... It's money in the shape of a knife. 
and nobody is quite sure why you've got money in the shape of a knife. Now, admittedly, the blade itself is not sharp, but you wouldn't take much to sharpen it. And the best guess is that in that time, there was lots of warring factions in China. So presumably one of the powers who won a battle needed to pay his soldiers and basically marked, had sort of officially stamped IOU on something they all had, a knife. That seems a pretty logical way to explain it, because I'm pretty sure nobody's sitting there going, hmm, do you know what we need to have more of? Sort of potentially sharp money. It's a bit weird. I nearly said pockets, but as there is a very old episode of Condensed Histories with myself and Greg, where we discuss the history of pockets, and they're again, they're really quite modern. They are post-Renaissance's pockets, so don't start thinking that everybody was walking around with their hands in their pockets in ancient China, because that nah, wasn't a thing. If you'd like to know more on that, just scroll back. It's going to be probably a couple of years back. Anyway, I digress. You've got knife money in China, but also, and this I am actually jumping forwards, this is absolutely in tandem with paper money, but there is a phrase, all the tea in China, because tea originally came from China. I don't know, maybe do an entire episode on that, because what? how did it end up in India, etc.? Maybe for another time. But what I wanted to say is that there is literally, and, and you used to be able to buy these, you know, and I, I seem to remember getting my dad one of these for a Christmas present from some of these sort of specialty tea shops. Literally a compressed brick of cheese, uh, of cheese, uh, of tea, I meant to say, of tea. So it's brown and it's so tightly packed that bits aren't flaking off and you literally grate a bit off to, to make a cup of tea. And imprinted on it are Chinese characters and clearly it's sort of like governmental official, in essence saying, this is worth a fiver or something like that. So yeah, tea's been money, knives have been money, coins have been money, and there's also paper money too. And I wanted to say that I wanted to say a little bit about the Crusades, because weirdly, weirdly, you all know what a check is. And it's really only in our lifetimes that checks have become redundant. You know, we've now got things like PayPal and stuff like that. There's just direct debit cards, etc. I'll come on to those in a little bit. But where did checks come from? And the answer is the Crusades. Because if you think about it, if you're in Western Europe and you need to go to the Middle East, traveling with a big pile of cash that's going to keep you sort of in food for the next year, well, you are a pretty easy, maybe a brave knight, etc. But that's a thousand plus miles of traveling. How many bandits can you sort of stave off you? In reality, it was the Knights Templar, who, yes, who I'm well aware have all these myths swirling around them. But actually, one of the things that made them so fabulously wealthy was not necessarily the bones of Jesus Christ or the bloodline of Jesus or any of these other wonderful, uh, I say wonderful in inverted commas, conspiracy theories around them. They basically invented banking. And surprise, surprise, you can make money out of banking. Don't believe me? Go and have a look at the profits of major national banks. Anyway, so the point is they came up with the idea of checks. Because the Knights Templar, like other military orders, these are sort of groups of knights, they had sort of basically way stations, bases across all of Europe and across all the Middle East. What you would do is you would go to basically your local Templar church, the compound, whatever you want to call it, put in your money there, and then they would write out basically, right, Jem has given us 
25 pounds uh, worth of gold, and that's the check. So then you take, carry that piece of paper, much easier to carry than all that gold. You know, the bandits aren't going to, are probably illiterate, so won't understand what it is. And then you take it all the way to the Middle East, and then you arrive at the, you know, Knights Templar's base in Jerusalem, let's say. And then you hand in the check, and then they give you the money. Really amazingly, sort of like, it's, it's beautifully simple, but beautifully efficient system. So yes, it was the Crusades that invented the check. And then, you know, uh, the other thing I sort of like want to point out there is, bringing it all the way back to ABBA, it must be funny in a rich man's world. That, that's another line from the song, Money, Money, Money. And, uh, you know, this is the thing. We, we nowadays get this conversation about the 1%. And, you know, the rich are growing richer and the poor are getting poorer. I'm not sure history stacks up to that. Now, I want to be clear on this. I'm, I'm not turning around and saying everybody was rich 500 years ago. But when you look at the absolutely insane amount of wealth of some of these rulers in the past. Perhaps the best example, maybe not the most famous example, is the leader of the Malian Empire in the early 1300s, Mansa Musa, who I've written several articles about. And the Malian Empire was fabulously wealthy with gold and salt. Salt was an incredibly important commodity in the Middle Ages. And Mansa Musa went on what is considered the most expensive spending spree in history. He basically, the Malians and, and Mansa Musa, was, was Muslim, and Muslims obliged to go on the Hajj, the pilgrimage to Mecca. And so he did. And he went with thousands of slaves and servants. And basically every Friday on his journey from Mali, you know, that's sort of like central West Africa, all the way to the Middle East, you know, Mecca is in modern day Saudi Arabia. That is quite the long journey. Every Friday, wherever he stopped, he would found a mosque. And when he arrived in Egypt, obviously the local rulers, the Mamluks, were rather uneasy about this other leader arriving. But he, he basically dazzled them with his wealth. And he is the first person in history to have destroyed an economy just purely through his spending spree and also dictate the, the, the value of gold. He spent so much gold in Egypt that it dropped it into hyperinflation for over a decade. They were just so swamped with gold. Gold was worth less than copper and, and other things. So, yes, Mansa Musa was spending so much money, it's estimated, and this is the thing, the problem is, of course, your money could buy you a lot more back in those days, but it's estimated that this one trip for a year cost him about $500 million. And he was clearly, that was, that was a drop in the bucket from his perspective. So, while we can absolutely talk about a better sharing of the world's resources and money. While we can talk about how, you know, rich corporations should pay their fair share with, you know, in terms of t taxes, like corporate corporation tax and things like that, don't fall into the trap that the rich are getting richer because somebody like Jeff Bezos, the richest man in the world, would have easily been outspent by somebody like Mansa Musa or Emperor Augustus, who had the entirety of Egypt as his personal, it, there wasn't part, technically it wasn't part of the empire, it was part of his own personal property. Yeah, Egypt, an entire country there. So, you know, it's, it's a whole complicated subject, money, but you can see how money is an absolutely intrinsic part of the conversation of the modern world around us. Which brings us to the last part I said I'd come to, you know, the modern day, is there is an argument that we're now reaching a post-money era. 
Obviously, for a long time, we've been doing things like direct debits and things like that. But with the current global pandemic going on, then you then you're now actively discouraged to spend uh, to spend literal money to use cash. I read a news article just a few days ago that new research shows that in wintertime, the, the virus can actually hang around on paper money for 28 days. So why would you be wanting to collect money when you should be just tapping, you know, your, your debit card? So, yeah, you could argue that the, you know, the current uh, world around us is accelerating us getting out of money and in a weird way going back to ancient Mesopotamia with this asset backed money. In other words, what's sitting in your bank account is is being represented by your the card, that little piece of actually worthless plastic you're carrying around in your pocket. New invention there, pockets. And we are kind of back to where we were uh, about 5000 years ago. So if you didn't find that an interesting podcast, an interesting epic journey where we started with a 70s pop song and we then covered thousands of years of history, I, I don't know, guys, uh, you know what I got to do. But look, if you did like this or what I keep saying is, please, please spread the love, spread the word, please tell people about this podcast. If you could just get one new person to start subscribing to this podcast, that helps. You know, just spread the word a little bit. If you can go on to Twitter, I'm at Jim Daduccio on Twitter. You know, please retweet. I, so every week I plug and promote, you know, the, these particular episodes. So please, please do try and do that. Uh, it all helps. And there'll be another one coming up next week. Thanks very much for listening. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.